Hey, my name is Darius Mora, um, and I beat the often path by detecting depression from voice. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining us today is Darius Mora, the CEO and co-founder of Vitality Therapeutics, a startup using artificial intelligence to solve mental health problems. You might not know this, but machine learning can be used to detect patterns in our speech, like our tonality, for example, that can help us diagnose mental health issues like depression and burnout faster. In a world where therapists are scarce and expensive, applying AI to the massive mental health problems facing our society today is an incredibly exciting frontier. We discuss the implications of emerging tech on some of our most pressing problems, and I know you'll be deeply inspired by Darius Mora. So here we go. Well, hey, Darius. I'm really excited <laughs> to have you here today. Um, it's really an honor that you're joining me. <laughs> I love exactly. what I do. I love this show. I love spending time with people like you. That's it. Diagnosed. That's all we need to hear. 10 seconds of audio. I'm sorry. What? Diagnosed. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell us about the problem. What is the problem that you solve? How did you get into it? So burnout uh, which is what we're focusing on right now, is just a fancy overachiever word for depression or work-induced depression. Um, you know, when you, if our moms know how we feel after five seconds of phone conversation because of the way we sound. It doesn't matter what you say, but how you say it. If you go to a therapist, they'll listen to what you say, but they'll diagnose you mostly or partially on how you say things. And so voice is an incredibly rich source of data, if you will, and we can get all kinds of insights out of there. And um, we know that we can diagnose depression, detect burnout, and all kinds of interesting stuff. The problem is that right now depression is diagnosed by a self-assessment. Um, in the US, there is a questionnaire called PHQ-9 and GAD-7, a couple of questions about how you feel. Um, so we have no objective way of figuring out. There's no real biomarkers or you know objective data. And so we believe we can be the first ones to create an objective um, measure of depression. That's, that's super cool. And it's it's very fascinating to me because we're essentially applying AI or machine learning to this new world. That's what you're doing. And we've seen that we're entering this stage with ChatGPT, Dolly, where AI is starting to become a more functional part of our life. We're on the precipice of that, where people are saying, hey, you can make money online by having ChatGPT code a website for you, and then you can just copy that code, and then you can use it to drive traffic and make $1,000 a day. So we're starting to see people who are practically attempting to use AI and also, in terms of artwork, big, big questions about copyright and ownership and all of that, and how do we generate all this stuff. But what I find most fascinating about AI, or something that, or machine learning, if you will, and it's what you touched on at the very start, is that when we set machine learning to solve problems that we have, it solves problems in ways that we might not have seen. And that can have potential consequences, both good and bad. Like if we say, hey, look at a bunch of x-rays, Turns out AI can detect from a very small part of an x-ray whether a human is male or female. 
and doctors don't know how it does it. It's just analyzing data, and no doctor understands how it understands that it's a male or a female based on this tiny thing, but it understands. And we have these traditional things of human-based diagnosis for conditions. A doctor looks at you. They check for markers or questionnaires or self-reporting. But the idea that AI or machine learning could detect something like depression or burnout in you by using something other than what you might think, like the tonality of your voice, totally independent of the actual content of your words, is just something that's very fascinating to me. And I think it's just the start of AI solving many of our problems in ways that we don't understand. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think the timing is just perfect. You know, I've been toying around with this idea for, for years since, you know, for the last three years at least, I've been actively thinking about it and kind of looking into it. And I think the timing is just right. Like you said, you know, everybody's talking about ChatGPT and Dali and all those are amazing and, and you know, um, machine learning that can complete code or write code for you. And um, it's going to solve problems that we don't even know were possible. And this is definitely one of them. Um, you know, like you said, machine learning is computer vision and voice analysis has been used to diagnose uh, physical illnesses before. Uh, it's super cool. And so we think we can do that for, for mental health. Um, there's also a lot of questions in the air. Um, there's a lot, lot of concerns. So I think we need to be careful and move slowly uh, because it could be a dangerous technology as well if we're not careful. Um, misdiagnosis or you know false positives are just as dangerous as, as anything else. Yeah, I think what you need to do is just make a machine that has your technology and it just listens to 10 seconds of somebody's voice and it's got a little tray and then it just spits out drugs automatically based on 10 <laughs> seconds. Like, you need Ritalin. Exactly. <laughs> You've got ADHD. <laughs> and then the drug industry will be really happy. You'll be a billionaire. So that'll be good. You'll be really rich. I'm sure there is a version of of the future universe where that's potentiality, but we're trying to not do that. <laughs> right. So how did you end up, you know, I, I saw from your bio that your, I think it was your dad who struggled with bipolar disorder, if I'm not mistaken. So how did you end up, you said you've been thinking about this for years. How did you end up coming up with this idea and then realizing it's something that you actually could do or wanted to do? Yeah, so... It was actually in conversations with my dad, who's been diagnosed with bipolar, and he's managing it really well right now. So he's he's doing well. Um, but you know, when something like that it hits personal to home, you become more curious about how the whole world works. And he's always been curious about AI and machine learning. And back in 2019, he was asking me kind of how it works, and I was figuring out the basics. And we talked about the example of. Um, doctors using um, computer vision to get a second opinion on x-rays. They're not, the AI is not making decisions, but it's just a second opinion maybe points out something that a doctor would normally miss, or radiologist in this case. Um, and so I was kind of explaining that, and, and, and my dad is a very smart guy, um, and he was kind of thinking, you know, you can break down music into a music sheet. You can have data, you can kind of replicate, you know, go back and forth. And so then he's thinking, you know, there must be a way to break down voice into some kind of a voice sheet or some kind of data and spot patterns just like you would with anything else. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. Um, I went online, looked at the research and found a paper um, published. There was one in 2017 and one in 2019 from a researcher named Mashura Tasneem. And, and she wrote a paper about diagnosing depression from voice alone. Um, it was at the University of Alberta, I believe, at the time. 
And so I read the paper and it looked like it's fascinating. It wasn't perfect, but it definitely had potential. And so I reached out to Mashura, um, just had a quick conversation, just out of curiosity to see where the tech is. And I realized that either it's ready to be pushed to the masses um, or it needs a little bit of work, a bit more data and to, um, to kind of fine tune the models and then start testing it out with, with real patients. Um, and events took, events happened in my life that allowed me to start thinking about what do I want to build next? Um, and when the time was right, you know, vitality seemed like the perfect thing. Um, in a beautiful full circle story, Mashur Tasneem, the original researcher, is now our head of AI, um, and she's building out the machine learning models. And we have an incredible team on board of very smart engineers and clinicians and all kinds of cool people that are building it out. So that's that's how we got here. Um, and I'm still, you know, consulting with my dad, if you will, mm. and exploring uh, what kind of what's the next thing we can do with this. So how far have you gotten the technology at this point? How accurate is it? How reliable is it? Where are you at in the process? Yeah, so we're very excited that uh, we're right now, the state of the art is about 80% accuracy. Um, and we're there. We're going to be closer to 100% very soon. Um, we are supporting an expedition to the South Pole. That's happening on the 1st of January. Um, the Aura Ring, which you might know, um, they're providing the physical biomarkers for the expedition and we're providing the mental biomarkers for the expedition. So people on the ice, the, the actual people participating there will be using our technology every day. We'll be collecting the data and kind of measuring their, their health and giving them what we call a vitality score, which is just like the Aura Ring gives you a sleep score and readiness score. We'll give you a, a kind of an overall mental health score and then a breakdown of your kind of stress levels, your happiness, your kind of joyfulness and all these things. Um, so we're super proud to be in, launching in, 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 in this way. And we'll be collaborating with Berkeley University and University, City Co Univer University uh, College London to then do deeper research in technology and then roll out a commercial version uh, in Q1 next year. So that's awesome. Sounds incredible. It's such a large study. Now, what do you need to have the people do to get those mental biomarkers? Do they need to turn on a camera and say something every day, like Avatar 1, journal the whole yeah, experience? So, uh, right now, it's an audio journal. So it's a simple app. Um, you record three minutes of audio. We call it a stream of consciousness. Um, so you just talk about your day, the, the, way, the way you would write into your diary, kind of talk about how you're feeling, what's going on. Uh, right now, it's three minutes for the actual diagnosis. It'll be much, much shorter. It'll be a couple of seconds that, of the idea that we actually need. But in this phase, it's, it's three minutes. Um, and for this product, we're also matching it with an actual depression diagnosis. So we have the data and the label, which is what you need to build machine learning models, um, and then improve the model. So is this something that you'll be analyzing in real time? They're uploading this to the internet daily or just at the end? So... On the South Pole, the internet connection is not very good right now. So they'll be uh, recording it on their device and they will be uploading it um, to the server later on for, for the research. Um, by the way, anyone can participate in this challenge. It's called Inspire 22. There'll be 10 people on the actual ice and the South Pole, but thousands of people around the world can do the same thing. It'll be walking 70 miles in 10 days. So if you want an excuse to be in the best shape of your life and really get fit from 1st of January, this might be a good thing. Um, 
And the way you can assimilate the conditions of the South Pole as close as possible is you can just go outside for a walk in your T-shirt and do, you know, 70 miles in 10 days. Wow. And so anybody can download the app that we're, we're publishing for this expedition and also participate, use the audio journal. Um, if you're online, you'll get the vitality score. You get the feedback right away. So what if you analyze this data and you look at the fact? Have you seen the movie The Shining? Do you know The Shining? I have not seen it. I've heard of it, but okay. I have not seen it. So uh, what if you analyze the data and everybody's fine and then just all the people <laughs> just drop off a cliff one day, some <laughs> mystical event happens and everybody's mental health just rapidly declines? What would... <laughs> then I would, be, I, would, I would be questioning our technology okay. first and foremost. <laughs> Uh, and then taking a look of, of what else happened. I, you know, we're very excited. We know that we can look at depression and burnout. There's a lot of other stuff that we don't even know what, what this technology can do and what's the potential. Obviously, our, our kind of broad, um, our, our, our long-term mission is not only diagnosis, but also treatment. Um, we've, already, you know, we've internally been experimenting with our own AI therapist, um, that you can actually talk to. So it's not just diagnosis, but also treatment. This is something that will take time before it can safely be tested with the public. Um, but I think we can do the full circle mental health down the line. That's fascinating. So I guess I probably know where you stand on this, but one of the great debates, and it's sort of over now, but the great debate of the past 50 years, There's what is an expert? What is a human expert? What is it worth to have 70 years of experience as a doctor behind you versus these other models? And even there's a book from uh, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, which I really love. And he talks about a lot of experts when it comes to things that you think that humans must be best at, like detecting the best grapes for wine or subjective things like uh, judges making decisions. It turns out that algorithmic processes actually do a better job than even experts or doctors and diagnosing things better. Um, what do you feel about the role of the human expert in any of this going forward? I think it's absolutely crucial. Uh, we're definitely not replacing therapists or in any way trying to remove the human element. The problem right now is that if you are depressed, First of all, you will not, or on average, most people will not seek a therapist until it's very, very late. Um, we don't catch like any disease, physical, you know, physical disease. Um, the earlier you catch it, the higher chance you have of, of getting through it. The same with mental health. But we don't really catch anything mental health-wise until it's very late. People don't reach out to therapists until their life is affected in a very negative way. And by then it's already too late, right? So that's the first problem that we don't even begin the process. Now let's say you realize, okay, I'm depressed, I need help. If you're in the US, there's 106,000 licensed therapists, not enough for everyone right now. If you're lucky and you have the money, you might be getting an appointment within a couple of weeks. Sometimes you could take a few months, depending on your situation. If you're depressed, you need help today, not three months from now. And then the problem is, you know, a good therapist will charge you, what, 200 bucks an hour? I was going to say. That insurance will not cover. Right. And when you're depressed, you need help every day, not once in two weeks, if you can afford 400 bucks a month extra, which most people in the world, including the developed world, cannot do. And so what we think is that we can help with kind of pointing out the red flags early on so you can find help professionally and get a therapist early on 
And then maybe you can do one or two sessions a month, but you can use Art Tech every day between the sessions and the therapist be able to watch your progress objectively, not subjectively. So we absolutely don't want to replace therapists or psychologists or, or anyone. But I mean, this is a gigantic crisis that we don't really have a solution for. It's like, why are you depressed? Because I'm broke. Well, you need a therapist. Yeah, well, <laughs> I also want a house. I also want good food, exactly. a car. And that is a decision. I've had to deal with that in the past. Uh, being very honest, my wife has suggested that I go to therapy when I have dark moments. But it's always the financial consequence of that always looms yeah. large. Because you say, the last thing I need right now is to spend $200 an hour so many days a week. You just know that. And it's impossible, at least in America, to separate the financial consequence of seeking therapy from the actual therapy itself. And I think that alone, certainly here, is a big, big, big reason why it's not more attractive. Absolutely. And one shocking number to also think about is, you know, not all therapists are the same. They all have good intentions and they're all doing their best. They're absolutely... Um, squeezed out, they don't have extra time. But it's not just their skill level, but also how you match with the therapist. You know, different people react differently to different therapists. And you have no idea which ones you're going to match with. And so on average, it takes four to six different therapists that you have to go through mm. before you find someone that you can really trust, really resonate with. Wow. Again, it's not their skill level, but it's, it's, it's kind of how you match with that person, right? Yeah. And so again, if you are depressed and you even start seeking for help, it may not be a year until you find someone that you can really open up with, right? Um, and so again, this kind of matchmaking, we're also experimenting internally how we can um, help with the process and make it faster. Well, one of the interesting things about your bio that I read is that obviously you struggled, you had a burnout yourself in 2021, and you turned to YouTube as many people do, and you looked at advice from gurus, and those gurus give you advice. What do you think about the idea of, I'll, let's call it fortune cookie advice for problems? <laughs> maybe everybody who's depressed, you're, you're feeling burnout, maybe focus on the process and not the result. Look at philosophy, look at stoicism. I mean, how do you feel that templatized fortune cookie advice, is, that, is there a one-size-fits-all thing that an AI therapist can just say, you need to be more grateful? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what we're trying to avoid. Uh, actually, my experience with my first therapy, um, I, I spent an hour and a half with this therapist. We've been you know, going through my history and all the past and what's happening. And I really felt like I was kind of going all in into the therapy session. And in the end, she was just, you should uh, meditate more. Right. I was like, well, exactly. no shit, I'm already doing that. Right. <laughs> I could have you know, not paid 200 bucks for this. <laughs> right. Um, but... There is, again, people have great intentions uh, and there's a lot of helpful stuff out there as well, but we do tend to listen or we kind of, maybe it's the age that we're in right now is that we want kind of quick fixes and quick help and, and, and a quick hack and you want to, you know, companies looking for growth hacks and you just want to move on to the next thing so you don't, you can kind of, you know, shove your mental health to the side and not worry about it. But it's usually the quick hacks that don't work. Um, it, you know, my own journey lasted more than 12 months of recovery. And I would say I'm not full hundred percent yet, definitely near the peak. Uh, but it just, it, it takes time and the deeper the depression or deeper the burnout is, the, the more significant changes in your life you'll have to make. I also tried just to, you know, quick, let me just do this and that, but I had to make real significant shifts in 
pretty much every area of my life. Wow. Well, what are some of those shifts? What's been effective for you? So I wrote an article, um, I published it all over, called uh, Micros and Macros of Life. And that was kind of my, my biggest takeaway from this burnout. And it was really a blessing that the burnout hit me and that I had to make these changes because I wouldn't have made them otherwise. And if I wouldn't make the changes and I would continue on that path, I'd be really, really screwed in 10, 20, 30, 40 years uh, when I would realize I was going on the wrong path. So the micros and macros of life is my, my epiphany, kind of realization I've had from the entire burnout experience. Um, micros are all the things in your life that can help, but they're all tools. And this is what YouTubers and Instagram influencers and all these quick fix people are obsessed with are all these little tools. Meditation is a tool and breath work is a tool and, and you know, going to bed at a certain time is a tool and um, all these apps, they're all, I mean, they're all great and useful exercise, but they're tools to get you to a point. And I have over-optimized my life for tools, which allow me to disregard the macros, which is the really important stuff that matters. And I'll get to that in a second. Mm. But if you looked at my life, it looked like, you know, the perfect self-help book. I'd wake up at six in the morning, I'd meditate, I'd do breath work, I'd go out and do my incantation, say I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy. I'd go to the gym, I'd exercise the perfect amount of time and, and activity. I'd come back, I would chunk out every 10 minutes of my day and optimize, optimize, optimize. And I was fucking miserable at the end. Yeah. And these are the micros. I mean, again, they're useful and again, I still, you know, I meditate and I do all these things, but I don't disregard what really matters. And what really matters is what is the relationship you have with yourself, with your God, if you believe on, or the spirit or the universe or your emotions, whatever it is that you believe in the nature. What is the relationship with your intimate partner, if you have one, um, your relationship with your friends, relationship with your family, your connection, relationship with the nature, and do you have a mission and a purpose in life? If not, are you seeking one? So all these things that are the macros, the really important stuff, I kind of just brushed aside. I was not in the right relationship and kind of ignored it and I kept moving forward. I was not in the right mission. I did not believe in the mission of the company mm. that I helped start and grow originally, but it kind of went a different direction that I wanted to go. I have disregarded my friends. I try to over-optimize. I would throw a, uh, a group dinner every couple of weeks instead of spending one-on-one time with friends individually. It sounds insane, but I was thinking I was being efficient. Um, I kind of just disregarded time with my family because I was keeping myself busy, right? And so even though my life looked like I was really having my shit together, actually all the important stuff was not being taken care of, which resulted in my burnout. And so I had to and the relationship I was in, mm. I had to leave the company that I helped start, um, reconnect with my friends, reconnect with my family, reconnect with nature and myself and spirituality, and kind of reset everything all over again. Yeah. Well, you, you touched on something very, very nice there. And that is that you had to change your work. And I also like the idea that you did everything right. You started your day the right way with the meditation, and you still came back and it wasn't enough. And I think we place not enough emphasis on that in our society because I've experienced that in the past. Let's say you've got a very stressful situation at work, which I've had, and you're on the edge of burnout anyways. You can wake up, do all the right things, express gratitude, meditate. But then as soon as you stop doing those things, which make you feel better, 
you have to sit down at your computer and actually do the work that you hate or the stress. And so it's not like you can just continue that Zen feeling through this incredible stressful thing. And a lot of people feel that they should just be happier in what they're doing. They feel Mm -hmm. that something must be wrong with me if I'm not just full of joy every single day in my job. But the reality is most people are in a job that they hate. Most people don't believe in the mission of their company or organization. Most people are only doing what they're doing for a paycheck and nothing else. So the idea that a big part of your success in combating these things was I have to cut ties with something that I was doing and focus on a mission – that is a very profound thing that I wish more people would talk about and take seriously. Yeah, and well, first thing I want to mention outright is that it is an incredible privilege and luxury to be able to do these sure. things. So when I say it, you know, I, I, I fully understand that I'm in, you know, 0.001% population that has the ability and the freedom to do this, right? Mm. If you have kids, your relationship, you can't just leave and end it. You have other responsibilities. Uh, if you are literally just living paycheck to paycheck and you can't afford to leave, but you may not have other skills, I get that as well. You know, I took time, I stopped working for half a year. I understand people can't do that. I went to Guatemala, became a hippie, and just was living in a jungle, not wearing shoes for six months. Nice. And I understand that it was it was <laughs> amazing. Awesome. But again, very few people on the planet have the luxury to do this. So sure. I understand you can't do it all. Yep. What I'm trying to communicate and get across is that. You need to put energy into the things that really matter, the macros first, and get that right first. And then you can get fancy and optimize and and do the micros. There's also seasons in life, you know, for example, right now we're launching this product for the expedition. Actually, today is when we're officially launching and I'm super excited that we get to do it today. And for the last month, we've been going really hard and pushing and I haven't been sleeping, I haven't been meditating. Uh, I've been disregarding a lot of the micros exercising every day because that's the one thing that keeps me alive but i'm also away from my girlfriend and just going all in at this company to launch the product and it's launched today and then next week i'm taking time off and kind of recovering so it's also okay to go through different seasons it's and 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 there's natural ebbs and flows into life yeah well what we keep coming back to is this idea of privilege right the people who can afford a therapist to begin with are the wealthiest basically it's easy for a movie star to get a therapist because they have money to burn you mentioned that taking a step back, maybe not. that's not as wealthy as somebody who's spending $100, $200 a day on a therapist, but it does take some privilege to be able to cut ties, to be able to go on a trip to Guatemala. So do you think that the most exciting part of AI tackling some of these problems is the democratization of access to some of these tools or the ability to serve a greater percentage of the population who aren't as privileged? Absolutely. Um I think that's going to be the biggest contribution that we can make. Um, obviously, there's going to be really big business opportunities if you want to do that as well. And we're doing some you know, B2B things that I think are going to be great for business. But there's going to be also a gigantic opportunity to serve a portion of the population that would not have been served otherwise and that does not have a choice. Um, this is why I'm super excited about the diagnostics, but as well as the treatment solutions that we have, because they're literally a fraction of the cost. Mm. And there will be cases, and I don't know what percentage of the population is going to be that maybe doesn't need the full attention of the therapist. Maybe you can just catch it early on and take action early on and um, and kind of 
self-correct early on. I, I think there is a possibility for that as well. And it'll be fraction of a cost, just like with, you know, physical healthcare system, uh, prevention is cheaper than treatment. Absolutely. Do you think it's something that you'll create a subscription model? There'll be a free tier and that tier says, just keep working for Amazon. Everything's fine. But if you pay nine ninety nine, it gives you better advice. <laughs> Are you going to go with the YouTube, YouTube premium model? <laughs> Do you, do you want a good therapist or yeah, an average exactly. therapist? How much can you afford, <laughs> buddy? <laughs> if you want a great therapist, it's 99 bucks a month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, obviously, we would like to um, create an incredible technology and to make it accessible to as many people as we can. Obviously, at the end of the day, we are in a commercial system. Um, that's the best system that we have right now. And we as a business will need to... Um, make money and you know be able to pay for everything yeah. all the cool tech that's happening is doesn't just makes itself there are super talented people and 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 the people that we need to hire can work at you know google making a million a year um and we need to be able to attract those kind of people as well so it costs money to build this up right but maybe those kind of people hate their job and maybe they don't like their mission and maybe they'd feel better and maybe they'd be happier if they were working on a purpose such as the one that you could Which provide is, yeah, which is what has worked for us yeah. so far. So everybody, oh, nice. you know, in the company has either direct experience themselves with burnout and depression or somebody close to them. Um, and people who are in team could easily be making, you know, 10x the money. Right. Uh, but it, it would be sucking their soul. And so we're giving them an opportunity to um, do something that matters. Well, you mentioned that 80% success. Now, maybe that's not enough. It sounds like a high amount to me. What is the bar that we need to clear for this to be viable? Do traditional therapists have a better than 80% success rate in diagnosing? No, much, much lower. Right. The misdiagnosis rate is gigantic, right. um, which is actually very scary. Yeah. That's a very good question because, and this kind of brings up, you know, interesting conversations about AI in general. We don't have legislation because it's just moving so fast. You know, Dolly and Chad GPT were nowhere six months ago, and now it's insane. Right. Um, you know, most of our social media marketing right now is powered by AI, like generating content and everything. It's, it's incredible how it's changing everything. What I'm trying to say is that um, we have no oversight. So we have to be very, very careful and we're creating our own guidelines. So as much as I would love it to be at hundred percent, I don't know how long it's going to take. I know we can get to 95, 97, 98 very quickly and that I'm happy with. But this brings up another question and it's not just for us. It's just for, it's, it's for everyone. Um, eventually somebody's going to commit suicide after using right. chat GPT or whatever other technology. Just get, it, it's just going to happen. It of doesn't course. matter how good the advice is from any company. At, at, if you have enough users at big enough numbers, it's just going to happen, right? Yeah. And so the question is, where falls the responsibility? It's, it's the usual, you know, Tesla autopilot crashes. Who's at fault? Yeah. Um, I think bringing more legislation and bringing more oversight is going to help the entire industry. We don't want to fall off the cliff like crypto did mm -hmm, recently. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that'll be a good thing. For the time being, we need to set the standard for ourselves. And so we're doing that for us internally. Obviously, I can't affect the entire industry. But I'm, I'm very proud of the way we're handling data right now. For example, in this first product, we're really trying to set the standard for what happens with your data. So your data is yours. Um, you need to give us permission to use it for research. You can decline the permission at any time. You have full view of your activity. You can ask us to stop processing your data, to edit your data. 
the full GDPR, which is the HIPAA, data privacy, and HIPAA compliance, which is in the US. Uh, we have that in the product, and so we will set a standard for your data is yours, and you have full control, and you have full visibility over what happens with it. Um, so I think that's that's all we can do is, 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 is you know, do our best. Yeah, for sure. Well, now that you're kind of knee deep in this cutting edge technology, are you more excited by the possibilities that AI and machine learning will bring to the world? Are you terrified? Is it a healthy dose of both? I've, I am an internally, eternally optimistic entrepreneur, so I'm incredibly excited. Nice. But I definitely understand the scary part, and most of the people around me are scared, and I think there's a good reason for that as well. Um, for example, this morning, I sat down and I was going to do some social media posts for a company um, on Instagram. So I, I used an AI art generator and I nice. put in a phrase of burnout and it generated a bunch of pictures that are incredible. And I posted that. Then I used another piece of technology to generate an AI avatar that's human-like um, therapist helping people on social media with their questions and answering using this AI therapist that is human-like. Um, use another piece of AI to generate content. I mean, I can do single-handedly what it would take a team of people to do a year ago uh, in terms of our marketing, for example, right? Um, I, think it's, I, I think people have no idea what's coming. Like the average human on the street doesn't know that designers are already, you know, not going to have work in six months or a year or whenever Dolly and similar technologies are adapted. Um, I think it's incredibly exciting, but obviously we have to be we have to be careful. I, I think it's the similar size of a revolution as when we adapted electricity. I think it's going to be like that, and I think that's a really good model for thinking about AI, where there'll be a few dominant companies like OpenAI or, or someone else, and other companies like ours will be tapping into it and then building applications on top of it. Yeah, it's and I think the great debate. You know, we've lived for so long in a humanist world where we have prioritize the individual's experience, the individual's output, the creativity of the individual human. And we're shifting into an era of dataism where it's the data that matters. It's all that matters is what, what is an aggregate. So who can't be replaced? Will a YouTuber soon be able to be replaced? Very likely, right? As soon as AI gets <laughs> one step further, it'll generate a script and it'll have a talking avatar that'll talk that script to yeah. you and it'll answer with 100% factual accuracy probably. So... Who yes. won't be touched by these things? What job is can, safe, right? Sorry to interrupt sure. you, but you can do that today. You can yeah. use jasper.ai to generate a YouTube video script. You can take that script. You can take it to synthesia.ai, and you can get it to build a YouTube-like avatar and then recite the script that was generated by AI. And you can have a full 30-minute video finished in 10 minutes without any human interaction. And there's, there's influencers on Instagram that are full AI only generated and they have millions of followers. People, right. listen, people buy stuff from them. Right? Stuff. That is the most wild part. Which, but it, it, you, you will not know the difference between a human and an AI. Like we're, we're, we're starting to run some ads now on social media and I'm using AI avatars and you will not know because it's just, it's so human-like. Mm. You know, I spent all my day thinking awake hours thinking about this. And I, it's such a radical shift in the way everything works is that I have a hard time picturing what it's going to be like, you know, in five, 10 years or like a year. Mm. I, I really have no idea because I, it, it's such a massive shift. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And that's the whole discussion about the singularity and the shift. And is that 
it's exponential. And we as humans are very bad at comprehending exponential. We don't think that way. We think in a linear scale. We can't understand that something that has the intelligence of a rat today will have the intelligence of all human beings that have ever lived in a couple years. And then it will have the intelligence of 40 trillion human beings one second after that. We have yeah. no concept of exponentiality in our life and our brains just aren't wired to work that way. So do you think it's one of these cases that we have to either be on top of this, guiding these technologies and leading them as you have done and are choosing to do or get left in the dust? Is that something that people must wrap their head around? You know, there is a third alternative that this is just a massive hype and it'll be kind of all quiet in six months. It, I don't think that's the case, but... It, it happened in the past, and it's it's possible. You know, we've had a lot of tech. VR had this massive spike. Everybody was talking about it. It was yeah. all big fuzz, and then it dropped down. And so that, that is a third alternative. But I think, in my opinion, more likely um, two options you have is either kind of ignore it and keep going until you're not able to keep going or try to take advantage. There'll be, there are going to be some massive, massive, massive opportunities. Um, and it's, yeah. It, 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 again, it's it's so hard for me to imagine what the future will look like, but I think just toying around with the technology and actually not just reading newspaper articles, yeah. but playing with it. And you don't have to know how to code. I'm not a technical founder. I can't write code, right. but I can use all these AI tools and and um, script engineering and all these things are a thing. So you can playing around with it and you can create amazing output today. Yeah. Um, and that way be part of the revolution. Yeah. I guess that's the approach that I take just out of default is just being part of it because I'm endlessly curious. I'm endlessly curious about the future and what's going to happen. And I've been thinking about that for my entire life. Uh, it's always the movies like The Matrix, The Fifth Element, Blade Runner. Th that is the world that I've always been in mentally. So I'm always more interested in discussions like this than, than other things. Uh, it's just... I, yeah, I guess I just see it as we don't have a choice. That's the way I see it. I think you can kick and scream or you can embrace it. But either way, I think it's happening. And I, I think the cat's already out of the bag. And it's just a matter of these things connecting to each other. You know, you connect Boston Dynamics to ChatGPT and connect that to the conflict in Ukraine. And you got yourself a very powerful cocktail. These things aren't going away. I don't yeah. see them as going away. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, just like... People ignored electricity when it came, and and some people took advantage of it, um, and the ones that did became, you know, really big. Yeah, yeah. So knowing that you can't predict the future five to who can, um, but you're trying to build a business. So what are some of the assumptions that you're making for the next two years? What what would be good for you for the next two years with your business? What would you like to see? Well, I mean, I would love to see depression disappear altogether, but that is not happening. Uh, if anything, the trend is going upwards, especially among younger demographics, especially teenagers are the fastest growing demographic with depression diagnosis right now, which is scary that it's that early on. Um, so that's what I would love to see, but that's the trend is going in the opposite direction. So we're gonna do our best to, um, to make it better or, or you know, help it slow down. Um, otherwise, we're riding all the technology trends that are happening and we don't need anything 
there's there's no big bets that we're making. We're we're using what's already happening and kind of surfing the right wave. I think with any startup or company, kind of luck is a huge element, and I think most of that luck is timing. Um, and I think we we got we got lucky with that one. Of course, the future um, we'll see in the future. But um, yeah. the continuation of AI and depression, they're all both going upwards. Right, that's a good point. So making the change that you did, abandoning your old venture, starting this, do you feel better now on a daily basis knowing that you're working on something that you believe in with people that you care about who have the same values? Yes, yes, I feel, yes, I feel amazing. Hmm. Um, like I was saying, you know, in the last month, we were pushing really hard and spending a lot of time at the office and, and going hard, but I, and I know the rest of the team as well, but I can speak for myself. I, I feel incredible amount of energy and drive and, and enthusiasm. Um, and it feels so good to have that natural drive pulling you instead of having to push a boulder up the hill. That mm -hmm. is a, I think that's the biggest luxury is to having this feeling um, of having something driving you in a mission. And so for me personally now, the important thing is to not get carried away to stay grounded, to have these practices where I can come back into my body and be able to disconnect and turn off and, and not be attached to the outcome, right? We've done all we could for the last month. We're launching today. Maybe it'll be a massive flop and it's not going to work and our AI is not going to work and everything might crash in a week, but not attaching yourself to those outcomes, I think, is the most important thing. Um, I, I was talking to one of my co-founders, Lubo, we had lunch today, he's the CTO. And we talked about the concept um, of, that I really like, of being always joyful and never satisfied. Yeah. I think you have the choice to be joyful, no matter what happens, because the choice you make inside, and never satisfied to kind of keep pushing. Um, that's, I, I think that's, that's, a good, that's a good model to live by. And disattachment from the outcome is a very hard thing to do and one of the most important lessons I've learned since the burnout. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's easier to be disattached from the outcome when the mission is something that you believe in just in general versus somebody who, again, is pushing that boulder up a mountain every day? I think it's harder. Harder. I think okay. it's harder because you care. You know, like when you give ah. a shit, you just want it to happen. And when you put right. your heart and soul into something, yeah. I'd love to see Vitality take off and heal the planet of depression. Um, but I'm not going to tie my happiness to it. And that's something I didn't know how to do before. Like I, I would, you know, it's kind of the, the usual, the cliche phrase of your net worth is not your self-worth and all these things. Um, and I'm still practicing. It's still hard for me to do. Um, but I have, my girlfriend is an incredible anchor, I would say. That's a very good reminder of coming back, grounding, and um, letting go, really. Like being able to go to sleep, at night, knowing that I've let go of the day and of the results of everything and be able to sleep comfortably, no matter what happens with the company or with anything else around it. That's, I think that's the most important practice for me and the hardest thing to do. That is very, very profound. Great bits of wisdom in there. So let's say we've got some listeners or watchers who are interested in AI. They also want to ride this wave, but they're not a coder. What do you think the best thing that somebody can do is to be a part of this? Oh, there's so much fun stuff. So much fun stuff. I mean, I, I'm to I, I, I spent 
hours generating AI art in the last couple of days. Okay. Um, there, there's so many tools. So for example, Jasper.ai is a great company for copywriting. So you can like build articles or copy script for videos or LinkedIn posts with um, without writing code. You just say like make an article about burnout and it'll do one. Um, so that's a good one. Um, I'm currently using an app on my phone to make AI art. I'm going to check the name real quick. Lens uh, it's called AI. Wonder. Oh, yeah, Wonder. Wonder I, that's a, a fun one. I've played with that before. Yeah, that's so cool. I have so much fun. And I, I make half of our social media posts with Wonder. Um, and so so this is you can just have fun and, and, and be creative. There's so many. There's Synthesia um, that I use to generate just AI, human-like avatars that speak. Um, there's just so many tools. I, I'd say just you know pick one that's interesting, start creating stuff. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are in tech, but use AI as a creative outlet. Um, and so, for example, I have a um, good friend of mine, Nick Sarafa, um, who's a very smart engineer, and he's toying around with doing a lot of AI art and creates a separate account on Twitter or Instagram. Just post that and you can, getting into the creator shoes um, I, I think that's the first step. You don't have to be able to write code. And in the future, we already have tech right now that can autocomplete code. I think it's just a matter of time until this can fully write code. It's called Copilot. Um, in the latest study, it completed 30% of the code of the engineers. It's a matter of time when you can write all of the code. So maybe people have spent their entire lifetime learning and practicing how to write code. Maybe this is a disadvantage. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because they spend so much of their life tracking down bugs and errors and everything that AI spits out just works. That's the crazy part. If you go to ChatGPT and you say, write me some JavaScript, write me an HTML thing, and then you just copy and paste it into codepen.io, it just works. Always. Yeah. And that's kind of wild because <laughs> no programmer has ever experienced that. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still flaws with it. can do simple stuff. There's flaws with the more complex stuff. But I think, you know, eventually over time, I, I, I think it's inevitable that, you know, AI will be able to write full code. So I think this is, I think this is the golden era. This is the holy grail for creativity. Really, because you don't need, I mean, you don't need anything. You can just open some of these tools and websites. You can just start typing in human language. Say, like, make me a statue of, whatever, and he'll just do it for you. So I think it will, I don't want to use the word democratize because it's so overused, but it, it will really allow anyone to create anything. And then the question is kind of, you know, what will be valuable when anybody's a designer, anybody's an engineer? That, that I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I do, um, when I'm back home and I want to relax, I do some carpentry. And eventually, AI robots will replace me with that as well. But maybe there's there'll be a sticker of human made, and that'll be valuable in the future just because it was human made. Right, the imperfections will make yeah, it more beautiful. Exactly. We, that's that's all we can hope for as a species. We just have to hope that there's a but certain kind of be... charm to our quirks, right? <laughs> <laughs> because we're not going to beat anybody at anything. <laughs> we're just going to yeah. have to hope that we're we're quirky enough to be valuable. Uh, in some yeah, and then way. you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be AI that will create this beautiful piece of art, and it'll make the imperfections as well to make it look human. -like. Exactly right. It's like, oh, here's a <laughs> table, but oh, we messed up there. Human made. Exactly. <laughs> no, take it. That was my job. I was supposed to mess that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're at the beginning of something that we absolutely cannot comprehend. Um, 
for sure. But it's cool that you're out there trying to harness this for the force of good. And, you know, I think the the point of the show and the point of doing these kinds of things is to stay on the joyful side of the tech revolution and what's to come and to see the possibilities because God knows that the news provides us and social media with nothing but doom and gloom constantly. It's all negative all the time. So having anybody say, hey, this is something cool that's coming out of this, or this is something positive, you know, let's say depression rates actually go down in the next 20 years thanks to this, we have to sort of look at these kinds of things, I think, also as part of our mental health to not just think that everything everywhere is getting worse all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you have to pick the uh, data input for your brain very carefully. Because it is a machine, and if you feed it crap, it will output crap. Now, last question. We're very near the end of our hour. If given the chance, would you upload your consciousness to live forever in machine form? Oh, a thousand percent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. You're ready. Right, he's so just actually, plugging it. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just last night, I was. Um, I have this. I, I use like a visualization where I create my future and I can plan out the next three months, one year, three years, 10 years, 30 years. And I have images in my gallery to, to help me anchor that every morning. Um, and just last night, I created one for 100 years out into the future, so 2,122. And I used this the Wonder app to generate an image of me that's just energy and consciousness and no human body. And I uploaded it to this gallery, and so um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. All right. Well, you're on your way. I believe it'll happen. <laughs> uh, certainly, you know, if not for us, for, for the next generation, we're very close. It's just a matter of years, right? For the four-year-olds, for my daughter, certainly she'll probably live to be 150, 200. Who knows, right? But yeah. I'm on the borderline. The millennial generation, we're sort of <laughs> on the borderline. It's like you, you keep smoking, you keep drinking. You may not make it in time, but if you... <laughs> Exactly. You know, 50-50, but I would also like to be a ball of energy and consciousness. That sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Darius. Um, we're near the end here, so is there anything you'd like to promote? Obviously, today is launch day. This episode will air, so the launch day will have been in the past, and I'm sure it will have been an outstanding success looking back on it when this episode actually airs, but I'd like you to close this episode out. So anything you want to promote or say, parting words, it's yours. Yeah, I'm I'm incredibly proud of of our team and 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 the people who are there. And so I'd love um, for them to to get the recognition and for everyone to be on the podcast. But we can't, so I'm just doing it myself. Um, but if um, if you're curious about Vitality, our company, you can check out Vitality Therapeutics um, on Instagram, and um, I think that's a good place that everybody has. And from there, you can find out all the other social media platforms and everything we're doing. Um, if you want to get involved, if, if you know this resonates, feel free to reach out through Instagram as well, or uh, you can find Vitality Therapeutics on LinkedIn and reach out in, in whatever way. Um, it all goes to my inbox, so I'll, I'll respond. But if you want to just use the tech or help us get to our mission quicker, um, I'd be very honored if people reached out. That's good. And, you know, full disclosure for our viewers and listeners, if you reach out, the response that you get will not be from a human. It will be from ChatGPT. 
<laughs> because he is a Absolutely. busy man, folks. <laughs> He's got more important stuff to do. But it will, you'll think it's from him, and that's all that matters. It'll be, it'll you be good. You won't know the difference. Yeah, you won't know the difference, so you'll be happy with it. Uh, no, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And with that, the official episode is over. Oh.